Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. How does emotional well-being and the impact of a dog factor into speech, occupational, and physical therapy for children? This episode will focus on the role of a therapy dog as part of pediatric therapy services and early intervention. And here with us today is Tracy Geist with the Capital Area Intermediate Unit. She is a licensed professional counselor with a doctorate in social work. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much for joining this discussion. Thanks. Happy to be here. So we'll jump right in. How integral is emotional well-being to a child's ability to learn? It's absolutely everything. Um, Learning, it looks like it's a passive kind of thing, but learning takes a whole lot of energy. It's very tiring. And if the child's mind is not there to be open to learning, to be able to retain any of the information, to be able to concentrate, learning just does not happen. And we're asking Mm -hmm. kids to do that for, you know, six and a half, seven hours a day. So if they come in and they're emotionally stressed out, they're going to be preoccupied with what's going on outside of the school environment. And it's really hard for them to stay open to learning, to be okay to learning, because a lot of the kids will come in if there's trauma at home, if the parents are fighting, if there's you know drug or alcohol addictions. They're going to come in and they're going to be in just such a hyper-aroused physiological state hmm. that they can't calm their amygdala, which is you know the center of the brain. They can't calm that down enough to be able to learn. The heart is beating too fast, um, and they just feel an overall sense of panic, which kind of scatters their mind, and then their mind just can't retain any of the information, if that makes mm, sense. It does. So how does having a dog present impact or contribute to a person's emotional well-being? And I'll start by saying whether it's a therapy dog or a family pet, how does the dog have the ability to impact the well-being? Dogs are amazing because they're pack animals. That's a key piece to why dogs help with our emotional well-being. Dogs come into our lives, and as a pack animal, we become their pack. Pack life means that they will do everything in their in their means to keep the pack healthy. Hmm. So if we become unhealthy, the pack becomes unhealthy. So the dogs will really try to interrupt that flow and bring the pack back to homeostasis. So like if you're crying, a dog's going to see that, and most dogs will come over and intercede somehow. Sometimes they're going to give you kisses. Sometimes they're going to like bring a ball and say, let's go play. Um, they would do whatever they can to kind of bring it back up to a healthy state of being. So same thing happens when I take the dogs into schools um, and I place them in a classroom. If the class is unstable, they will intercede and try to stabilize the classroom. And sometimes, you know, cool thing with dogs, their noses, they're more powerful than us, like by 14 million times. Mm -hmm. And they can smell differences. I mean, dogs can alert you to cancers, heart attacks, that kind of stuff. 
but they can also alert you to emotional states. Mm -hmm. So when we're in a state of stress, that's a lot of adrenaline, that's a lot of cortisol. And again, it can be something that the students are bringing in from home. That's why they're stressed. It not, might not necessarily be school. But that kid's going to smell different. And over and over and over again, I've seen dogs, you know, the teacher's up front talking, talk trying to teach. Uh, the kids are sitting there, and they look like they're learning. But the dog would pick out one kid. And I had um, a dog named Chamberlain who would just kind of get up over the lap of the of student who needed them. And when talking to those students, I'm like, why did Chamberlain do that? Mm -hmm. And the kid would be like, well, I was just getting ready to, like, get up and just walk out because I'm so frustrated and I'm so stressed out. And by Chamberlain doing that, I stayed in my seat and I figured, well, he's on me. I might as well, like, pick up my pencil and try to do something. <laughs> wow. And he did that so many times that it wasn't just an accident. He was he was definitely picking out the kids who were the most stressed and bringing them back down to a physiological state of ready to learn. Sure. Now, that's very interesting. And does the dog, by sort of trying to bring the pack, as you described it, back to sort of stability, does the dog undergo stress during that time frame when, when he or she is trying to bring stability back to the situation? Is that stressful for the dog? It absolutely it can be. Mm. Um, and you have to be so careful with the dogs when utilizing them in therapy. Myself, it's, it's, I'm, I'm constantly, it's an ethical thing. Mm -hmm. I'm asking my dog to be my co-therapist. Ethically, I need to take care of my dog's level of stress just like mine. We had a dog named Gracie who was placed in a high school class. It was an emotional support class. And it was, it was very hot. It was very heated. It was a lot of the kids in there were unstable, truly needed a higher level of care. But insurance is just so broken nowadays. It's really hard to get kids higher level of care. Mm -hmm. And Gracie would just bark. And she would bark and bark and bark and bark and bark. And the kids, they just weren't able to settle down. That was her stress reaction to try mm -hmm. to bring the, the pack back down to normalcy. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. So she just continued to bark. Barking, of course, is not good in the school because then the other classrooms who were doing okay, they were becoming, you know, they were being interrupted by this dog barking. Sure. And we actually had to end up retiring her a little bit early because she just wasn't able she just took that pack so personally mm -hmm. um, that we just couldn't get her to be okay and to kind of regulate in a different way. Hmm. So there's definitely going to be dogs that are sort of equipped internally. Absolutely. More so maybe than some others. That is very, very, very true. Yeah. So let's bring what we've been talking about into the scenarios where there is speech or occupational or physical therapy required. Why is all of this related to a child's progress in these areas? Yeah, the first time I used a dog in speech therapy was truly by accident. I had a classroom um, of kids in speech services, and they wanted them to have some social skills. So I was doing some social skills. And we found that the kids were so interested in the dog, they wanted the dog to sit. They wanted the dog to stand. You know, they wanted to be able to be in command of the dog. They wanted to make the dog do, you know, all the tricks that they know. Mm -hmm. To do that, they really needed to uh, enunciate. Um, they really had to practice hard at saying those words that have S's and R's and, and all the really hot spot kind of um, vowels that it's hard for students to say. They, it was so, I think, motivating for them to work on their words and to enunciate and to get the dog to actually 
understand them. It was a really cool thing. We uh, actually ended up doing an assembly for the whole school. This was at Lower Dolphin School District. We did an assembly for the whole school where these students who other, you know, up until that point, they were pretty hard to understand. They, they had communication issues, but they had their principal in a wheelchair and the dog pulled the principal across the stage in front of everybody and the students were the ones doing it. It wasn't us. So it's, it's a huge motivator. Same mm-hmm. thing with OTPT. Um, I had a little boy with um, cerebral palsy, and he hated doing any kind of exercises, any kind of PTOT. But what he loved to do, I had an older dog, Scarlett, who she was a mama dog, and she just loved little kids. And, and he was, I think he was six or seven. And she wore a harness, and he would try for 30 minutes to buckle her harness or to put the leash on her Mm. collar. Mm -hmm. And it was really good for the fine motor skills. And he would not give up. And even when he got frustrated, I mean, he was like eye to eye to Scarlett. And Scarlett would just give him kisses. And he'd giggle. And he'd keep on going. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like hugely motivating for them. It, It gives them a sense of power, a sense of love, a sense of accomplishment. And the dogs, you can kind of see them kind of like cheering them on almost. Like right. They kind of want it to happen too. Aww. And it's, it's just a huge connection. Cool. So I had an opportunity to talk with you before our podcast, and you said something that really caught my interest. I've had dogs in my own life, you know, at home, pets. And you said that dogs are always in the present and in the moment. And I thought about how interesting that is, just sort of generally speaking, But how is that relevant or related to students and specifically the students who are requiring therapy services? Yeah, because the present is the only thing that exists, right? So we have the past. We don't know the future. But most people don't live in the present. They Mm -hmm. continue to think about the past. The past is reflected into the future, and they think the future is going to be like the past. A lot of the students that I specialize with have just really harsh realities. They're Mm -hmm. living in trauma. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of PTSD. And that is just, it's killer to learn when you you, are preoccupied with your trauma. So being in the present is, is the key to calming down the amygdala, to calming down your brain. The amygdala is right in the center of your brain. It's kind of like a video center. It kind of videotapes your your life for you. Mm -hmm. And PTSD just kind of keeps it on a constant loop so that you kind of think you're in that trauma. And the only way to break out of that is to be mindful of the present, to know that you're not being traumatized, to know that maybe your parents aren't fighting right now, that right now you're in school, right now you're safe, right now you're surrounded by people who support you. It sounds easy, but it's really, really hard. So with dogs, I'll have kids who might have a panic attack, and I'll bring them into my office, and I'll just have them match the breathing of the dog. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of, like, brings them into the present. Mm -hmm. And then I'll have them, you know, when you have a panic attack, you get cold um, because you're in fight, flight, or freeze. You get cold, so they have the warmth of the dog. It just kind of helps them snap out of that trauma, stay in the present moment, and only in the present moment are you going to have healing. Mm -hmm. Um, Only when you're in the present moment, your brain, it's almost like a REM, but you're awake. Like that's when your brain is going to heal when you're in the here and now. Right. And so the PTSD that you're talking about, um, that some of the students may be existing within that state, is this where the postvention 
category kind of of treatment comes in. There's intervention, but you had mentioned postvention. Can you talk about what kind of scenarios that falls within? Sure. Uh, traditional postvention is when there's a death in the school, there's a shooting, there's something traumatic that impacts the whole uh, student body. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear on the news when something bad happens, the counselors are at the school tomorrow. That would be myself, the dogs, okay. um, other, you know, specialists. My first postvention, there was a tragic car accident where a little girl in first grade got hit by a car. And everybody saw it because everybody up there is walkers. And both the elementary school, the high school, they get out at the same time. So a lot of kids saw mm. this. And it was the first time, I mean, they had an, uh, some, most of them had an experience of death, especially to witness a death. Mm-hmm. I knew nobody in that school. And I took a dog up with me, not even knowing what I was going to do with this dog. I just asked Susquehanna Service Dog if I could borrow one of their dogs and took it with me. Mm-hmm. And the students, you know, I, I put them in a group and we started discussing what they saw and their feelings and how they can rebound from that. And as I walked in, the one little boy raised his hand and said, I know why you brought a dog. The dog is specially trained to help us to heal. And I'm like, sure, that's exactly why I brought a dog. <laughs> and it was true. Like, Zach sat in the middle of the group and he was a yellow lab. And he was old, and he had, like, blocked tear ducts, so he had these stains under his, under his eyes. The kids um, felt that he was crying, which kind of helped them to cry. Mm-hmm. Plus, I was a stranger, and they liked this dog, so they were more opt to talk with this dog who was, like, army crawling to each of them as they talked, giving them kisses, giving them encouragement. At one point, and again, I didn't know these students, a little girl raised her hand. She ended up being the best friend of the girl that perished. And she's crying, and Zach gave her some kisses, and she immediately started to giggle. And she said that his breath stank, which was absolutely true. His breath was atrocious. He was an old dog. But when she started to laugh, all the kids started to laugh. And the teacher who was standing in the side kind of crying, she started to laugh. And I realized at that point, this is, this is the magic wand, to have these kids you know, within 24 hours, they would probably uh, witness the worst thing they ever had in their young lives. And yet they were, you know, smiling, laughing within 24 hours. That's a huge switch in the brain. Yeah. So in, in post-invention work, when you have something traumatic like that, dogs are really efficient and effective in, in getting the help needed quicker. Mm-hmm. They don't fight it as much. Mm-hmm. Because who wants to talk about something incredibly scary? You want to keep that inside, but keeping it inside is the worst thing you can do. Right. And so you've talked already about some of the ways that a district might engage you, but are there other reasons you might be called upon to serve a school or to support the learning environment? Sure. Um, the past year, I was contracted out full-time to East Penn. And there, uh, I do a multitude of stuff, not just postventions, which we just talked about. Unfortunately, that district, we had two postventions in the past school year. But I do um, some intensive individual therapy with kids. I do groups with kids. I support the emotional support, autistic support classes. I support the teachers. I mean, we have teachers who are working incredibly hard, and they're being amazing shepherds to these students and doing their best. And I think what society needs to realize is we're being great shepherds, but the students sometimes go home to wolves 
you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a constant traumatic kind of experience and, and chain. And the therapy dogs are just as important to the teachers after a really hard day, just kind of getting down and playing with the dog and being with the dog helps them too. Anything that a social worker, licensed professional counselor, speech therapist, occupational therapist, any of those skills that they have become more effective with mm-hmm. a therapy dog. Okay. And so you're kind of actually leading right into my next question, which is great. What are some of the ways a district can benefit by engaging your services? You talked about the healing occurring more quickly. So talk a little bit about what are the benefits to the district? Yeah, in 20, I think it was 2013, I actually did research on this subject. I did my dissertation on this. And I found that by having therapy dogs in the classrooms, it decreased physiological stimulation. So it decreased levels of adrenaline, cortisol that the kid might be bringing into school. It therefore increased their ability to learn. It increased the amount of time that they were staying in the classroom. This was with emotional support and autistic support students. And therefore, it increased their ability to learn and increased their their grades. The the classrooms that had a, a therapy dog um, I think we had nine therapy dogs at that point. Seven of those nine classrooms were doing, they were the top seven classrooms of the whole building. This was at Hilltop Academy. And that's just pretty remarkable because without the therapy dog, it's just a, con- you feel like a, a monkey on a treadmill. You're just going, 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 going. And Having a therapy dog is novel enough that it sometimes breaks some of the trauma cycles that the students kind of show us behaviorally. Hmm. So in addition to breaking the trauma cycle, it sounds like academic performance, there's a benefit, a direct correlation and benefit there. And then by the faster sort of treatment time, would it be safe to say there could even be cost savings? Oh, absolutely. From the business standpoint? Absolutely. Yeah. When we first started using um, a therapy dog in at the CAIU, the Capital Area Intermediate Unit, that was, oh goodness, years ago. We had an emotional support center called Cedar Run. And we only had two social workers, my myself and my friend Steve Gensler. And we were tracking data and we absolutely needed another social worker. But another social worker, you know, the salary was, you know, starting social worker, I don't know, in the 40s, 40,000. We realized that we could buy a therapy dog from Susquehanna Service Dogs for like 3000 And that dog as a co-therapist actually, I don't want to say, was more beneficial than uh, another human being, but that dog could stay in the classrooms while we took kids out and did individuals. You know, mm-hmm. the, the dog could take, you know, kids on walks, and the teachers could use the dogs and... Teachers, yeah. unfortunately, don't have the therapeutic um, training, you know, but they could kind of utilize. They, they found the teachers who kind of didn't know what to do with these kids' trauma. They found that they could take the student for a walk with the Scarlet or whoever and that the kids would just start opening up and talking to them about their trauma, you know. And, again, that's always good when you don't hold stuff inside. Okay, so... If a school district is sort of contemplating decisions around this, what would you suggest they do? Where should they go to sort of find out if this might be a good match of services for their district? Yeah, a lot of schools are doing it nowadays. Um, So I would definitely kind of look in your local catchment area, 
see who is utilizing therapy dogs, talk to them about that, Mm -hmm. see what policies and procedures needed to be put in place. You always have to look at things um, such as students who are scared of dogs. You have to look at allergies, Mm. all that stuff. I've never found those obstacles to be of any great significance and the effects of therapy dogs to be way greater than than those obstacles. You know, some people want to just kind of rescue a dog or use their own family dog. Mm-hmm. I would suggest going to a place such as like Susquehanna Service Dogs where I've gotten all of my dogs. Um, mm-hmm. They just do an excellent job. They use mostly labs, um, but they screen. They, they've placed so many dogs now in schools that they kind of screen. They know which dogs are actually going to enjoy the process because not every dog is going to enjoy it. Not every dog's going to like the sounds of a school. Mm-hmm. They do all the training for you. They make sure that you're evenly matched with your dog. Um, it's a little bit more cost, but it's totally beneficial in, in the long run. Great. This has all been so interesting, Tracy. I want to thank you so much for joining us today and giving us this great insight. Absolutely. My pleasure. Listeners, I encourage you to check out keyedradio.org for more information on this episode and to tap into other topics aired on our podcast. This podcast is a product of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association, and this episode was brought to you in part by sponsors CM Region Insurance and Step-by-Step Learning. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.